0: Good morning, good morning. A blessed Easter to you. We can do it again. He is risen. Risen indeed. Ah, That's a great one. Well, we're here this morning to talk about Easter. And we started last week with Jesus coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Do you remember that? And we said that uh, this was his triumphal procession into Jerusalem. And we mentioned that rather than a coronation, it was actually a funeral procession although they didn't know it at the time. And what the Scriptures make perfectly clear is that Jesus was appointed by the eternal plan of God to die for us. With hindsight and the help of the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, we can see that God saw our problem and chose to die in our place for us. And Jesus writing into Jerusalem was the beginning of keeping that promise. We went back and looked a little bit at Abraham and Isaac where that promise began. And it goes a long way back. And when Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac asked his dad the question. He said, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham replied prophetically, it might be added. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And when God had stayed Abraham's hand from killing Isaac, they found a ram with its horns fought in, in a thicket. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. This is incredibly important and symbolic, and we're, we're going to come back to this in just a, a little bit. Get you to just for a second. The door behind me is also a symbol. Uh, Yesterday, and then on Good Friday as well, we looked at the promises that God had embedded in an event called the Passover, which is uh, one of the more famous ones. We came home last night and turned on, and the Ten Commandments were on TV, and Charlton Heston and that whole thing, and watching that, that that's just a whole deal. But a lamb was to be sacrificed, and the blood put on the mantle of the door of their homes, so that when the angel of death came through, he would see the blood on that mantle, and literally then he would pass over that home. He would go buy it, and he wouldn't enter in. This was a picture of God releasing his people from slavery and saving them and then bringing them into the promised land. They walked out of the door of their homes into freedom. Think about that. 400-year slaves, and they walked out that door into freedom. The Passover was not only to point the Jews to the promised land, but also to point the Jews... To the coming Messiah. And last week we looked at how they missed this. Uh, It's easy for us as humans to miss what's right in front of us sometimes. And they did as well. They were looking for their warrior king. One who was in the line and the likes of King David. The suffering Passover lamb was not really in their paradigm. And despite that, the Passover lamb clearly pointed to the fact that the Messiah would die for the sake of their, our, sins. And so it brings us to this. And on that Good Friday, He did. We call it good not because what happened. We call it good because what it accomplished. He who was sinless became sin for us. He took the punishment that was ours upon Himself. And there's some interesting facts and correlations off of this. Remember Abraham? Remember being asked... To sacrifice Isaac. And uh, the question is, where did that historical event take place? And if you look in Genesis 22 and and go back there, it says, On the hills of Moriah. Jesus was offered up on the very same hill that Abraham was to offer Isaac on, the hill of Moriah. God will provide. Remember, I said that uh, Abraham gave it a name, it was Jehovah Jireh. God would provide. Also, God will bring peace, Jehovah Shalom. If you take those two, it means that God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice that will bring peace. Jireh Shalom. Jireh Shalom. Jerusalem. The hill on which Jesus died. It's ground zero, so to speak. It's the land on which God has His eyes. It's the epicenter of human history. It's the land in which he died and it is the land to which he will return. It's the most valuable and important piece of real estate on the planet. Jesus knew that. He even cried over Jerusalem what would happen to it. If you remember this, before his death, he said, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and that day following Herod, they were saying, Herod's coming to get you. And he said, hey, go tell that fox. And this, then he said this, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, three days, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus called it. He called where his death would be. He knew why he had come and he knew what it was that he had to do. He knew he was to die for us. Let's go back to that for a second. There have been many attempts to challenge the fact that Jesus actually died on the cross. In defense of this, I would state the following. The Romans were very efficient and effective executioners. They knew their craft and trade well, and they were brutally efficient. To mess up and misdiagnose on their job, their watch, meant their own death. So you tend to be a little more careful when that's the consequence. They knew Jesus was dead. They were so sure he was dead, they didn't even bother to break his bones. That's being confident. When he, Jesus, was speared in the side, the spear went into his chest and then into his heart cavity. The eyewitness accounts state that blood and water flowed out. Nurses who are among us this morning will tell you that this is a sure sign of death. The fluids separate around the chamber of the heart and it's a a sign of cardiac arrest. The point we're making isn't that he was, like the princess bride, mostly dead. The point we're making this morning is that he was really dead. All right? Jesus was put on the cross and he died at 3 p.m. The exact same moment in time that the Passover lamb was slaughtered in the temple. The incredible synchronization of that can't be missed. And then we encounter this stunning event. So our theme last Sunday was appointed to die. Our theme this Sunday is restored to life. Jesus was brought back to life. All the gospel accounts, including Mark, the gospel we're studying right now, emphasize that Jesus was raised from the dead. Many attempts have been made to give reasons why Jesus did not rise from the dead. One of them is that, well, the disciples stole the body. How does, my answer to that would be, how does a scattered, fearful, disorganized group overcome a Roman guard, which at that time was the most efficient fighting force in the world. We would call it a black ops group today. And then how were they able to hide the body from the entire Roman army and the Jewish spies that were looking for it? If they stole the body and they knew it, why would all of them go to their death proclaiming that He had risen? That's 13 of them. That's, that's a big group of people. Somebody's going to crack under pressure if it's a lie. The other answer to that would be, well, the authorities had the body. If the Jewish leaders had the body, why didn't they produce it for everyone to see? All you had to do was drag it out, lay it in front of the temple steps, and there's your risen Savior, end of story, it's over. We we can go on with the rest of our lives. If you think about it, both for the Jewish authorities and for the Roman authorities, it was in their absolute best interest to produce the body to shut down the movement. They would have done anything, moved heaven or hell, just to get that body so they could discredit this whole thing. You can see their angst in the book of Acts because they know they have no evidence to counter what the apostles are saying. The third one is, well, they went to the wrong tomb, right? Under crisis, under stress, pressure, you freak out, you you go to the wrong place, right? Uh, Joseph of Arimathea was rich. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was well-known among Jewish circles. Certainly the place of his tomb would have been well-known. If you go to the wrong tomb, besides that, one of the things we've lost in our culture is common sense. Right? Just, just common, we used to on the farm call it horse sense, right? Just do the most logical thing, right? Well, if you go to the wrong tomb, what do you do? Oops. Wrong tomb. Let's go back to the right one. Right? Is it possible that everyone, the Romans, including the Roman guard, the Jewish leaders, Joseph of Arimathea, it was his tomb, Nicodemus, and the women who followed them to him, all went to the wrong tomb? Well, okay, Jesus wasn't really dead and he resuscitated in the cool of the tomb. Now, any of us who have hiked in the northwest and sat on those damp, cold rocks know that those rocks don't resuscitate you. (laughs) Laying on a rock slab does not promote healing from the kind of wounds that Jesus had. And even if he was, how did a crippled, flogged, crucified person take a two and a half to two a two to two and a half ton stone and the description is it was literally picked up and tossed uphill away from the tomb. But there's, we can put this all together. Now, right now you're probably saying, yeah, Steve, I'm with you. Got it, okay. But there's this other side to us when we come to an event like this and we come to church and we're wrestling with life as we know it and that is simply this, Uh, there's something that keeps us from uh, really embracing the eyewitness accounts. Many of us are old enough uh, to have been around a death, particularly a family member or a loved one that we dearly miss, and the impact has been severe. You you can trace it, you've been to a funeral, uh, you, you just wish they were back. You long that they would be back. And one of the things we soon realize in this life is that Dead people don't come back, no matter how much we wish they would. So the logic goes, unlike the Avengers or other Hollywood movies, dead people don't come back, they stay dead. Right? And I can wish or hope all I want, but that's the reality of life. And dead is dead, and it doesn't come back alive. So if dead people stay dead, then Jesus stayed dead as well, because that's what dead people do. May I just counter that with two personal stories that I've had the privilege of being an eyewitness to? Give you two of them. So Butch and Diane Yancey. How many know that name? Anybody in here still know? There we go. Butch and Diane Yancey are friends of mine. Butch is a big black dude and and got a deep, low voice. And Diane's a little white gal and a funny couple and uh, personal friends of ours. And Butch had heart problems. Butch uh, had heart disease uh, he had wrestled with it for quite a while. They were here in the beginning days of Northview, way back at Jackson High School. And um, Butch played on the softball teams and, and we got called up to the Veterans Hospital way down south of Seattle. You know where that is. And uh, Kevin Cavanaugh, a friend and a beloved friend, and I went down and there was Diane in the waiting room. And so we got around her and we were praying. And as we, came, as we were praying, the doctor came out and he said, I'm sorry, we lost Butch. His heart blew up, it's gone, and uh, there was nothing we could do. And so Diane's crying, Kevin's praying, his evangelistic holy, trying to save the doctor while he's trying to comfort Diane. If you know, Kevin, how that works. And, uh, and, and, and as, he's, as we're standing there and, and we're praying, and uh, Diane's crying, the doctor's trying to comfort her, a nurse comes out and talks to the doctor, and the doctor quite literally turns this color right here. And he says, oh, excuse me, and he runs back into the operating room. And apparently, Butch wasn't dead. He was sitting up on the table talking to the nurse. And he came back out and he says, I don't really quite know what to tell you, and I'm not sure how this happened. If you want to call this a miracle, you very well may, because I've never seen anything like this, but he's not dead. He's actually alive. All right? We were like, what? right? Can you imagine being poor Diane? right? And then what was even weirder than that is next season for softball, he's out pitching. We're like, is he going to blow up or freak us out? It was just really, really weird. Let me give you story number two. So we just did a couple weeks ago uh, my beloved friend Loopy Maples' funeral. And, uh, oh, it was awesome. And uh, I got a chance to uh, tell the, her life story and... and I've had some experiences with Loopy and Loopy always had crazy stuff going on. And one day, I was called by the church. This is back in the days of pagers. Any Anybody remember what a pager is? Right? And I got an alert on my phone, go to Stevens Hospital. It's now Swedish of Edmonds, but back in the day it was Stevens. Go to Stevens. March is critical. You've got to meet the family there. And I happened to be over there. That's why they paged me. And so... I went to the hospital. I actually got to the hospital before uh, Loopy and Tim and all those guys showed up. And so I'm standing there. And if you know how that looks, you come down this long hallway with glass windows and then you go into the ICU unit, right? And so I'm standing there and the doctor comes out and he says, oh, are you family? And I said, well, not actually. I said, I'm actually a pastor in the church. I'm a close personal friend. I got the page. And so I got here and I'm waiting for them to arrive. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, we lost Marge. And I said, oh. And as I looked, as he's talking, I see Loopy running down the hallway in her funny Loopy lope, okay, that she did. And she comes running. She goes, what happened? What happened? And, and the doctor begins to explain to her, I'm sorry, we've lost your mother. And Loopy's crying. So I'm holding Loopy like this. She's crying. The doctor's here trying, trying to... Uh, actually, the doctor did a great job. He was really being compassionate. I want to give him credit. And he was trying to comfort her. And as they're talking, as they're doing this... I'm looking over his shoulder and I look into the room and it has a door with one of those windows, right? And I'm sitting there looking and I see Marge sitting up on the table. And I'm thinking... And while he's talking, I said, "Uh, excuse me, um, are we talking about that lady right there? And again, he turned, said several words of blessing... Hit an alarm, things went off, people came flying out from everywhere. Loopy still hasn't looked up yet. She looks and goes, what's going on? I said, well, apparently your mom's not as dead as they thought she was. (laughs) Compassion's not my gift, can you tell? (laughs) Marge went on to do that three other times before she actually went home to be home with the Lord. Crazy, crazy story. Here's what I'm saying. These are actual eyewitness accounts. How do I know they're eyewitness accounts? I was there. Okay, I can call people up. I can call Kevin Kavanaugh. Up. I can call Diane. I can talk to Butch, and say, Butch, did that actually happen? Yes, that actually happened. Uh, in Loopy's case, uh, none of the people who were there are alive anymore. I'm the only eyewitness left to that. Okay, but I'm an eyewitness to those accounts that I actually saw those people come back to life. They were on the table dead. They had coded. They were out. They were gone. And the doctors knew it. By the way, did you check our tomb out in the lobby and see that and hear the voice recorded? See, Jesus didn't stay dead either. If you're saying it can't happen, I'm saying, yes, it can. Yes, it can. I've seen it. These Gospels are eyewitness accounts. They're just like people this morning. They're like you or me. They were standing there. They couldn't make heads nor tails of it either. They're trying to describe to us what actually happened and what actually took place. What are we saying this morning? What we're saying this morning is that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead. He was restored to life. Why does that matter? Because that means it's not just a story. It's not just a religion. It's not just a faith. It's not just a a cool idea. It's not just holidays. What it means is that if that actually happened, he's become our covering. He's become our salvation. Because of his resurrected life, he's able to save us. Hebrews 7 puts it this way. Isaac didn't know, but I'm using the same passage he was going to try and have us read together. Fortunately, mine showed up on the screen. That's good. <laughs> says this, The former priests, talking about the line of high priests that exists all the way through the Old Testament, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever based on the power of an indestructible life. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost and I wanted us to catch that phrase. He is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Why? Because He has become our propitiation. That's a, that's a big word. It's used in 1 John. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Let's look at Romans. It covers the idea a little bit more. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. Phil Wagner pointed out uh, last night when we were doing the Seder service. You can see the door behind me, and you can see the blood on the mantle. Phil pointed out that the word "blessed." we use that word right? Have a blessed Easter, right? I. Texted a bunch of my family this morning, Pam and I were texting around and wishing everybody a a blessed Easter. That the word blessed actually means uh, covered by the blood. That if you're blessed, you're covered by the blood that was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. The Israelites were blessed because when the angel of death saw the blood on the mantle, it passed over, went by them. Likewise, Jesus is absolutely unique exclusive and singular in all of history by what he's done. But the offer is universal to everyone. He is the way to salvation by faith. Jesus said it this way about himself. Oh. There we go. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him And have seen him. So, just as in the Old Testament, the Jews had to walk out of that door to freedom. In other words, the blood was applied, the angel passed, and the next morning, what? They had to walk out. They had to walk out that door in faith and follow the Lord into the promised land. So, because of that event, we are now covered. By the blood. And we too must walk out into faith and freedom that is ours. Jesus, because of his resurrection, because of what was accomplished on the cross, claims to be that door. How do I know? Well, look at John. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief or a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep and to him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Jesus says, if someone does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief or a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus entered into the door of eternity based on his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He now becomes the door that we have to walk through. And we can't end this morning without this question. Jesus said, you would know his voice if he was your shepherd. And the question to us this morning is, do you know his voice. Not do you know about Him, but do you know Him? There's a eternal difference there. Have you bowed your knees to the resurrected one? Have you understood the price tag and looked at that cross and said, that should have been me. And I accept, Jesus, your offer. I'm sure... Uh, many of us this morning heard about the bombings in Sri Lanka. Right? Churches were targeted, suicide bombers walked in, over 200 dead, uh, more than 450 injured uh, on Easter morning. It's a horrible and unspeakable tragedy. It's meant to create enormous fear. It's monstrous in its intent. The carnage and debris field will take years to recover, if ever, by those who live through it or um, have family members who are lost in it. And I'm not going to make light of it, but can you imagine, can you imagine if you went, you're going to church on Easter Sunday morning and the next thing that happens is you meet Jesus. You see a flash of light and the next thing you know, you're standing in front of the risen Savior. That would be pretty spectacular, right? Now for the people left behind, not so much, but for you. Wow, that would be trippy. Wouldn't that be incredible? Trippy, sorry, 60's word. <laughs> my age away. Meeting Jesus on Easter morning. This is the salvation that Jesus offers that death cannot steal from us what God has promised. No amount of persecution no amount of evil no amount of darkness can overcome what jesus accomplished on the cross does not say that all things will go well for us that's the big mistake we make in america if i love jesus everything will go good but it does say that he will turn all things good for us even the hard things that we go through those of you in trial and trauma right now take joy It'll turn into good if you stay steadfast. And the question this morning is this then. Do you know him? If not, why not step through the door of faith this morning? If you think of this as faith, you'll notice there's a handle on that door. If you heard Jesus knocking on the other side, he can't come unless you open the door of your life. You have to physically see that the blood was shed for you, that your sins could be covered, and you have to open the door, so to speak. Would you step through the door of faith this morning? Would you yield control to Him? Would you take the handle to the door? For those of us who already know Him, the question is a little different. Will we keep the door of faith open? Some of us get angry, some of us get bent, some of us get bitter, some of us get discouraged, some of us get sad, and we shut that door. It was open at one time in our life, but we shut it. Will we open it back up? Will we keep it back open? Will we continue to cooperate and yield to His leading through His Holy Spirit? Why is that important? Well, we also are not promised tomorrow. We may think we have tomorrow, but we're not promised tomorrow. If what happened in Sri Lanka were to happen today, when that flash happened, would you be standing in front of Jesus and know Him as Savior and Lord? Let's close with this. Hebrews tells us today, if you hear His voice, remember Jesus talking about the sheep know my voice, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. If you've never let Christ in, this would be a tremendous moment to do that. What greater place and time to come to faith in Christ than on Easter Sunday morning, where you say, you know what, Lord Jesus, I've heard those claims all my life. I've heard that story all my life. I have never engaged with you on that level. I've never let you come in and take over. This morning would be a fantastic opportunity. Lord, I admit I need help for my sin. Would you come in and save me this morning? I bow my knee to You. And for those of us who know Him, equal prayer would be, you know what, Lord? Help me to continue to keep bowing the knee. Help me to keep leaning in. Help me to do as I did at first with a full heart. And if we do that, we will embrace the true meaning of Easter and it won't just be a story because it's not a story because people do come back from the dead. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for... Everybody come this morning. Everybody who's here, they came out of goodness. They came out of faith. They came to hear a word. And Lord, we seek you this morning to have a conversation with all of us. Myself included. That we would lean into faith. That we would let you speak to us. That we would not resist. Lord, that we come out with a renewed conviction because that tomb is empty to live for you and to live our life for you. And we pray that you will surprise us with joy and we pray you'll surprise us with your presence. And we pray for this in your name. Amen.